everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name is Jesse Jones, and on the show today, we have the master taster from Old Forester. Miss Jackie Zykan is on the program, and we are so happy that she was able to come on and talk whiskey with us. We have a great time, her and I, talking about the Old Forester brand, talking about how she got started. She educates me on how she got into the business and what she's doing with Old Forester right now. We have a phenomenal time talking, and you guys are going to like this. I think this is going to be one of those episodes that people just can't get enough of. I, re-listening to it, I'm just like laughing. I, I, it's such a good conversation. We hit it off. We're BSing. It's just natural. And I think that's the best way to describe not only Jackie and the work that she's doing, but it's like not forced. It's just who she is. She's putting something good out there and she's doing it in her own voice. And it really is committed. And we want to thank her for taking the time to talk to us today. We also, we drink some delicious whiskey. So without further ado, I would ask you guys to go hit like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Instagram, on all the things. Say nice things about us if you want to. If you don't, that's fine too. Just listen to the episode and, and go get some of this whiskey. Go find some Old Forester. It's the perfect whiskey to start with. It's the perfect whiskey to continue with. It's the perfect whiskey to sit down with and nose. It really is one of my favorites. And we want to thank Jackie for coming on the show. We're going to get started right now. It's the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name's Jesse Jones. Let's start the show. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We have Jackie's Zycan, the master taster of Old Forester, the coolest job in whiskey. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so, so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. Oh, man. I have been looking forward to talking to you for so long. Uh, your reputation precedes you. You you have the master palate. Master taster is the perfect title for, for you as, as from what I've heard and from what I've seen and from what old Forrester's putting out. So thank you so much for being on. I can't wait. I, uh, I am honored. I am humbled and flattered and blushing and just thank you. I mean, I don't think of myself that way, I guess, but like, Hey, let's, let's just go with it. <laughs> Why not? But I mean, it's awesome. Uh, you are what whiskey needs right now. You are somebody that is like an outgoing personality that can kind of be the face of the industry to all of the people that are finding it right now. You know, like you're, you're rock and roll and you've got this wonderful, just fun aura about you. We've been talking for a few minutes and it's just uh, kind of fun to see somebody out there that's, you know, mixing things up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, the face of whiskey. And I don't mean that, I guess, like, um, literally, right. I mean, I guess I do is completely changing. You know, the whole category in and of itself is shifting and the whiskey drinker, the face of the whiskey drinker is shifting. So yeah, no, it's a really exciting time. Right. And I have to like say this on the front end that I have this like very large, like, rescue dog and he's in the corner of the room right now and he's sleeping <laughs> and he's snoring so if you hear that from time like anger hey 
I'm sorry. Like he, and I was like trying so hard to talk over it too. I'm like, oh, no, nope. like, no, you're just going to hear it and go. Smoke. I can't, I can't hear it at all. I wouldn't worry about it. I have, okay. uh, uh, my dog's name is literally, uh, Dwayne Rocky Johnson. So you're he's <laughs> sleeping right now. Uh, well, we, we call him Rocky, but he's Dwayne Johnson at the vet, which I just think is hilarious because whenever he gets like <laughs> anything done at the vet, he has to come in and be like, oh, Dwayne Johnson has worms. I'm so sorry. And I just giggle like a little girl. It's uh, so good. So between Rocky and Piper, also named after Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, we have, which was so, I had the kids so close to naming her uh, Pepper after Jamesy Pepper, but, but they, I, you know, they went with Piper. So I've got the Rock and Rowdy Roddy. I'm happy with that. That's awesome. So you'll, you'll hear them throughout this thing as well. Okay. Let's get all the technical out of the front of this thing. If anybody has been living under a rock uh, and doesn't know who Old Forester is, could you give me just like a, a synopsis, a brief history of the Old Forester brand and and the products that you guys offer? Yeah, for sure. So we're actually a um, small size brand in the grand scheme of whiskey. So you're right. There are quite a few people out there that still are like, oh, what? Um, but we've been around a lot longer than a lot of these other brands. And we're the only brand that's been around consistently and never changed hands since it started before Prohibition. We were even sold during Prohibition as quote unquote medicine, right? Um, but so Old Forster started back in 1870. So long, long ago. And it was started by a gentleman by the name of George Garvin Brown. He wasn't a distiller. He wasn't like in the backwoods, like making questionable things, you know, wearing a coonskin cap, like that wasn't a thing. Um, <laughs> he was a pharmaceutical salesman who saw an opportunity in a market that, you know, where whiskey or quote unquote, what they called whiskey back then was medicine. And so grandpa's cough syrup. Yeah, sure. Like whatever you need it for. There's all kinds of like different ailments that whiskey was. So I have to be careful how I say this because like the legal department will just have my head. Like Jackie was telling people it cures all kinds of things. Like I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the late 1800s, it was known to help with many ailments. So you've got this guy who's going around town peddling these different samples and doctors are prescribing the liquid to patients. And then patients are like, Hey, that's great. My cough is gone, but like now I can't see and what happened. And so what happened back then was that this was predating any modern day bourbon rules and regulations and what actually you could call bourbon or call whiskey in the U S. And so you've got people that are, they're always going to be there in every industry, no matter what, trying to make the most bucks they can out of whatever they can. And so people would get a barrel of whiskey and they would, you know, either empty out a little bit and refill it and cut it with all kinds of weird, crazy stuff, tobacco spit and iodine and all that. Um, and still call it whiskey. And then you would literally go in as a person with a quote unquote ailment and get your medicine that was not regulated. So it's a scary time, right? And so whiskey back then also was sold in a completely different package. This is important to note for Old Forester's story. I know it's taken me a long time to get there, but that's okay. Um, you would look. Oh, no, I, I love this era of whiskey. Okay. I think okay. The, the, the Wild West of whiskey is so interesting yes. because it is a disconnect to what we have. We don't realize how good we have it today yes. that we don't have to go to town center and have some dude with a gigantic barrel pull a cork out and go, here you go, sir. That'll be three shillings in a skin of a, in the skin of a small animal. Like, like we are very fortunate yeah. today to just go into a store and get a bottle of something. 
correct. And to know that it's actually, you know, what it says it is in the bottle. Label laws have come a long, long way. And so back then, you know, you take your vessel, whatever you choose, you take it to the pharmacy, you fill it up straight from the barrel. There is a sort of a romantic element to that. I think a lot of people are like, oh, wouldn't it be great to just like get it straight from the barrel? Like, huh? But if you didn't know what was in the barrel and they refilled the barrel, not so fun. Right. So George is, you know, seeing all this happen and having all these physicians come back to him and say like, you know, John P. So-and-so's shop on the corner, like sometimes the stuff is good and sometimes it's not and patients are complaining and we don't know what to do. So we got to solve two issues. We got to solve a quality issue and we have to solve a consistency issue. Single barrels are so amazing. They're like snowflakes, but they're all different. That's why they're so amazing. But when you want something that you can rely on and you want it to have the same effect time and time again, it's not the most ideal application. So we got two things going on here. First and foremost, you got to make consistency. In order to do that, you have to blend whiskey and batch it together. So when I say blend, I don't mean blended whiskey as a category, but George sourced from three different distilleries and blended those barrels together to make a consistent mingling of barrels. Then you got to put it in something to make sure no one messes with it. And so enter the bottle. Like literally this is predating modern day glass molds. This was still hand blown glass bottles that old Forrester was sold in super expensive. Wow. That's what it takes in order to make sure that you can sign that bottle and say, I guarantee hasn't been tampered with. It's exactly what we want it to be. And then was born literally old Forrester, the first bottled bourbon, um, the first bourbon sold only in exclusively in sealed glass bottles. And it changed the entire industry. And here we are still rolling along doing the thing. That is wild. Are, are there any of these bottles still in like, does, I'm sure there's a collector somewhere that has some of the original glassware from that time period. You know, I've seen them here and there. We've got all kinds of different archives, but the liquid inside for the time was very quality. Modern day distillation techniques are quite different. Um, right. So I would never dare I, I run it through like a gas chromatography to see what was going on, but I would never dare taste it. Um, just personal preference, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I want to say we've got a lot of photographs of some of these, but we don't have any physically on hand at the distillery, but we do have a lot of the oldest bottle we have. There is the original 1910 bottle, I believe. So that's wow. back as we go, which is, I mean, 40 years after the company was formed. So totally, totally. I, yeah. I, I think uh, the process behind that is just uh, amazing to me and that you guys were the first to do it. Uh, we really have, we don't know how fortunate we are that we're able to just, you don't even have to go to a store anymore. You can just go on like mash and grape and go bring this good thing to my house and they will. Right. We're a little exactly. whiskey spoiled. So I, I, where did the old Forester name specifically come from? Like the actual old Forester, because his, his name, I, I, I've always, I, I just, I'm curious. Um, so old in whiskey just denotes that something has been aged. Um, right. So old Forester. Forester, however, the name itself was the name of a very popular physician here in Louisville. Uh, it was originally spelled with two R's because his last name was spelled with two R's. But once he retired and was no longer an active physician, we dropped one of the R's because it was no longer authentic to use his name in that format. So um, now here we are with the one R. I will say that again for the people in the back. There's only one R because it's still <laughs> go out and about places, even here in Kentucky, where they like spell it with two R's. And I'm like, 
<sighs> okay. That's okay though. It's okay. Oh, it's so easy to do. Uh, yeah. Some some of the emails that we had going back and forth, I had to reread them like three times because once I get something <laughs> stuck in my head the wrong way, uh, I'll do it. I'm awful oh, no. with names. Now I made you like even more self conscious about it. Like no, I, I just I, I know one of my <laughs> things is once it gets stuck in my head the wrong way. Like if I meet you and and you say your name's Justin, but in my brain you look like a Tim. For the rest of the time I know you, I'm gonna call you Tim. It's nothing That's against you. It's just. I, I know your parents thought you looked like a Justin. You're a Tim. I'm sorry. That's your Tim now. You don't even like try to like be sly about it and like say like just Tim. You know what I mean? And, like hope that no one notices in the situation. Just ma- mash the two together. Just make them constantly go. I think he said. <laughs> hey there, uh, Pam, Becky, Sarah. What's going yeah. on? Exactly. Oh, I don't know. Drunk. I think I'm just a sick human that delights no. in things like that. Torture now, the next time I meet a Justin, I'm going to be like, hey, just Tim, what's going on? See? <laughs> is, <laughs> I want to be a fly on wonderful. the wall for that whole experience. Oh, man, I'm wonderful at creating awkward experiences. If Excellent. I can get 1% of the thing I thought I, uh, if uh, there's 100%, I know 99 of it. I'm going to bring the 1% up that I'm not sure of that the person's just going to be like, okay. Like case in <laughs> point, uh, I, I met, I got to meet the, uh, the Sicilian from the Princess Bride. And I'm a huge Princess Bride geek. I've always loved it. You've got the four, you know, the uh, Andre the Giant and, and uh, the whole nine. I've just been a fan. So I meet this guy on the corner of like fourth and or seventh and Broadway in New York. And I'm going through that period in my 20s. You know, the period we all go through where like you just wear nothing but stupid T-shirts. And I feel like, yeah, I know. I think that mine still lasted much longer. Than my oh, means. totally. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm well older than my ultimate warrior t-shirt should allow. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so me and my, my girlfriend now wife, we're standing at the corner and I see him and we lock eyes and he, he looks up at me. He's kind of a short guy and uh, no digs. He looks up at me and goes, I really like your t-shirt. And I, couldn't help myself. Like I, I immediately couldn't just leave that alone and say, thank you. I had to go, do you like my t-shirt or do you know that I know that you really like my t-shirt inconceivable. And he just oh, rolls no. his eyes and walked away. You, Ex- exactly like he should have. Oh my gosh. No. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what he should have done. And in that moment, I just couldn't, my, my wife even like gave me one of the elbow ribs. Like, don't, don't, I know. I know he, he, he lobballed it. He set you up with an underhand pitch, but just don't take the swing. Boom. I did it. Could have made a friend. Instead, he just rolled his eyes and walked away. But would you have made a friend? How no. many people have you befriended that have ever given you a compliment on a t-shirt in your life? Why would the t-shirt, <laughs> right? like, remember, how'd you guys meet? You liked oh. t-shirt. Yes, I was wearing a uh, Dukes of Hazard t-shirt and Bruce Willis was like, hey, I love that show. And then we went off and shot Die Hard 78, Die right. Hard with they, a battery. I don't know. Not saying it's not possible. <laughs> Things could, you know, everything starts somewhere, I guess. But it's just anyway. All right. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I like this. I like this. Who, who can you befriend based on what you're wearing? 
I'd say uh, for for dudes, you're probably going to uh, just have a group of people that love um, The Office and Dungeons and Dragons in a room together, all giggling about their Andre the Giant and Macho Man Randy Savage shirts. And don't send me angry letters, people. I am one of you. I have both T-shirts, so leave me alone. <laughs> so now we know where the old Forrester name came from. How did you get involved with the brand? Like, tell me your journey into the, the world of whiskey. So I actually did not grow up with the goal in mind. I mean, obviously the bourbon boom is, it's been going on for a while now, but it is still quite fresh. Let's put it that way. So um, I am not from Kentucky. I am from St. Louis, Missouri. And St. Louis is more of a beer town. And especially back in my prime age, anyways, it was a flavored vodka and beer town. You know what I mean? Like that whole scene. So, um, yeah, I really, uh, I was there, I was in college, I got married. Uh, I was studying to go to medical school because I'm a nerd like that. So I'm sitting on this like biology degree and a chemistry degree and like, life just took a turn in a different direction. He got a job in Louisville. So we relocated here and his career path became sort of the priority for the household. And I just kind of was sitting here like, now what do I do with myself? I felt kind of lost. So I bartended my way all through college, loved it, always did. And so of course it was just an easy thing to get back into here in Louisville and to meet people and just find a purpose in the city. And it was just like, oh, there's this wall of brown spirits. I have never heard of any of them. Ooh, this is a challenge. This is fun. And I realized very quickly how much I didn't know about the world of booze. And I just, it, something just clicked. There were a lot of pieces that came together, the right place, the right time. And I just became insatiably obsessed with all of it. And so I was working for a restaurant group based here as their beverage director. Um, I was with them for five years to become their beverage director. Let me put it that way. I didn't just like walk in like, hey, I know nothing. <laughs> Let me buy your things for you. Um, but because the main concept was a whiskey bar located in downtown Louisville, of course, there's a lot of brands where their corporate headquarters are here in Louisville, Kentucky. And they would come in and you just start growing these relationships. And then people say, you know, we've got a group coming in from Seattle. Can you make a special cocktail for the sure? Got you. Oh, we've got this like event going on. Like you seem personable enough. Could you go and talk on behalf of the brands? Like, sure. Well, can you go on the news and talk about the event that then you're going to talk about the brands? Like, sure. Okay. And it just slowly snowballed into literally the job I do today, minus like the production piece. So, uh, the opportunity came up, I got a phone call and old forcer was the only brand that I had decided long, long ago that I would ever leave the bar industry for, because it was the only brand that I didn't have to have a BS story that I always had to remember. Like what, what lie are we telling today? Like I didn't want to have anything to do with that. It just doesn't resonate with who I am as a person. And totally. so when this came up, it was like, yes, there is no question. It's just, yes. And here we are doing the old forester thing. That's absolutely awesome. Uh, and I think it also kind of uh, taps into some of 
people see themselves in a lot of what you're doing. Like you said, you came to Louisville, you were unfamiliar with the brown spirits. I think a lot of us feel that way when we're drinking whiskey, especially when you're new to it. There's so many things out there that it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, how how did you teach yourself uh, the or how did you grow your palate for the brown spirits as you found them? Like, how did you grow that? Sure. So, I mean, my entry point into anything um, in the alcohol category was always through cocktails, uh, mm. like massive, massive craft cocktail focus. I was it, so when I bartended back in college, it was like, oh, this is great. I can make like hundreds of dollars and like not pay taxes on them. And this is, awesome, you know what I mean? And it's like <laughs> oh, wonderful. Like you're young and you don't, you're not even phased that you're up that late. And it's just what. Mm -hmm. And then. But there was always that moment of like, oh, well, here comes so-and-so that I went to high school with. And they're like hanging out with their accounting friends after work. But they're looking at you like you're still working in a bar. That's good for you. Cool. And you want to be like, but I'm studying to be more, I swear. <laughs> so there's that weird, I don't know. I was always very insecure about it until I moved to Louisville and until I learned more so technique driven bartending. And it just stuck with me as something that I was really so passionate about and so proud of because it was a deeper level of understanding to it. It wasn't just like Jaeger bombs and like, you know, whatever. Um, when was the last time you had a Jaeger bomb? Oh Lord. Okay. Funny story <laughs> about Jaeger. My God, this is so horribly inappropriate, but like, here we are. This is the place for it. I stopped drinking Jaeger when I was in my early, early twenties. I mostly, I, I had a very early prime. That's all I'm going to say about that. And then I had a very dark zone of not drinking whatsoever. Like the majority of the time I bartended in college, I wasn't even a drinker. I learned everything by smell, which has helped me in the wow. long run big time. Yeah, totally. Um, but I did go through a little zone early on in college before I was of the age I should have been to go through a zone like this where Jaeger was my jam. I was listening to a lot of like Canadian heavy metal music and it was very, it was a, it was a dark time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. And, like listening to like things that give you an instant migraine, like smelling of Jaeger from the day before and like dissecting things in school. Like that was like my life, but I still feel like Canadian death metal would be polite. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. Like I figure it would be the politest of the death metal. You know, it's, it's, it was a phase. It's a phase. Um, but the Jaeger part about it, I went through three different situations in three. It wasn't always the same place. Once happened in Minneapolis, one was in Iowa and one was in Missouri. So I know it wasn't just that I had like a spider problem at my apartment in college, but I would have a night of Jaeger. And the next day as part of my, um, uh, cleansing that exit of the spirits of the evening before there was always a spider. Oh my God. In a row, I threw up a spider and I just <laughs> became convinced that like the world doesn't want me to drink Jaeger anymore. And this wasn't in Jaeger bomb form. This was just like straight, like straight Jaeger. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, like Bush light or something like just really getting at it. Um, <laughs> threw up spiders three times in a row in three different places and was like, Never. Oh, that's amazing. I, it's been a long, long time. 
I would I would love to test this and just just see if now years later if you drank Jaeger if spiders would happen the next day. Spider in my stomach. I think it's because Jaeger just you know if it was a Jaeger kind of event you uh, it's a kind of night where you probably sleep with your mouth wide open. Let's put it right exactly right. right. So, uh, it's I it's blame it on are that. spiders a thing for you or like like I, I know spiders. Oh, I can't I. Okay. I I don't hate them. I respect them and they're beautiful, very interesting. <laughs> people, like near me <laughs> that way. <laughs> I, I never had a problem with spiders in New York. And then I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, where the black widow is everywhere. And Stop. Ooh. Oh my, I just, ooh. so no. uh, as soon as I find that I'm, I'm actually afraid of, cause like snakes don't bother me. Like, like I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, heights don't bother me, but, this did it. This is what uh, pushed me over the edge. Um, I'm driving home and I'm on the phone. I, I, I still had a, a, a big boy job at that point. And I'm driving home and I'm on the phone actually with an HR person, because that's what you talk about when you have big boy jobs. You're talking to HR about HR things because the HR thing hasn't happened, blah, blah, blah. And I noticed like a little looked like a thread was poking out of my AC and I'm talking to the HR lady and I see the thread sort of start to grow a little bit. And the next thing, you know, all of these baby spiders start coming out of the air conditioner into my face while I'm driving an automobile. No. And, and to the HR lady's credit, she handled it very well because I was making sounds that aren't even human on the phone with her she went from like well i'm pretty sure i inserted my social security number the correct way but i've still not got my and 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 she thought i was having like a heart attack or something she's like i think you need to pull over and i'm just like there's spiders everywhere it's it's it was just like one of those surreal things and i've never been able like i can't even like just thinking about it right now is freaking me out a little bit Yeah, no, it mm, spiders in the car is one of the worst spider scenarios, hands down of all time, no matter what, like it's mm, you can't escape them. It's <laughs> it doesn't even matter what size or how many, like it could be one tiny little freaking spider. <sighs> if you are driving on the highway, like it's like, it's done. Like, I'm sorry, we're probably going to die today. <laughs> I could just take my finger and smash it, but like. What if it bites my finger? You know, like, oh my God. Well, they were just shooting out of the thing like silly string. And, I, and, and uh-uh. how sad would that have been if I had to crash the car and the last person I had spoken to was an HR representative? Well, I mean, but for good reason that you crashed the car. I blacked out in my car once when I was driving home from high school at a light and hit the car in front of me because I pulled down the visor and there lay a spider underneath it. And I just, I don't know, it was right in front of my face. It was so close. It winked at me. Like, (laughs) I don't know. There was a moment and I hit the car in front of me. And so now your story makes me never able to tell my story ever again, because how embarrassing that was one spider. And you live to tell the tale of literally like spider dead and fly. Yeah, but your AC. I had a phobia of spiders and air conditioners for a while after that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Any vent. How could you Ooh. not? Ooh. It, it, it was just uh, every I time I would have get in the one car. Just from hearing this story. <laughs> Who would have thought, like, of all the things that we were going to come together on, that that spiders would be the thing? 
<laughs> exactly. But Oof. oh, here we are. It's interesting <laughs> though because like the barrel warehouse is full of them. Oh, of course. So it's very. It has been something that has forced me to face it, but I'm in no way, shape, or form like you know, petting them in the warehouse. Right. Like no, it's just you, you don't have like a pet tarantula now or anything. No. Oh God, no, 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 no. Uh, one thing that I thought was pretty cool. My neighbor has a gigantic problem with snakes. And we had a king snake in the front yard a couple of weeks ago, and he came over to help me catch it. Uh, and I asked him, I was like, I, I was like, I wouldn't have asked you if I'd known you were scared of snakes. I'm so sorry. And he's like, no, I, I didn't want my son to see something I was scared of keeping me from doing something. Oh, so I kind of, nice. I thought that was pretty cool. Like he forced himself to deal with it just so his kid would be like, okay, if you're scared of something, you just got to go grab the snake by the tail and throw it in a garbage can and help Mr. Jones drive it down to the nature preserve as you do. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it's effective if, if the kid knows that you're afraid of it and sees that you do it anyways, if you just completely isolated them from knowing that you're afraid of it at all, you know what I mean? Does it yeah. <laughs> same effect? I'm that would be hell- yeah. like, one apart. I'm sorry. We can no, talk. He, come, he, he comes home all proud of himself and his kid doesn't even know he was scared of snakes. Exactly. <laughs> it's probably just like, like, that's the key to be like, I am terrified of snakes, but you know what? We got to take care of the snake. There's right. Snake. Right. Still life, life lesson, son, life lesson. Right. Oh, I wish I'd thought of that at that moment. He, <laughs> so like, I am doing a thing for my son. Like, does he know you're scared of snakes? That would have been freaking perfect. Cause I guarantee you, no, I guarantee you the kid does not know dad's afraid of snakes. Yeah. Because like, it, I think, I don't know. I have a little boy. He's seven. I think it's important to teach them that like, you don't have to be, the, the whole hyper masculinity thing, like is very, right, right. Scary. Um, it's okay to be afraid of things, but it's okay to be afraid of things and also face things that you are afraid of. You know what I mean? Totally. See, we have a We're weird household. Now. Watch out. No, no. I love it. <laughs> we, we have a weird household where like all of that stuff, my, my son is like such a super confident guy uh, uh, with, without any of the, that hyper like bravado, yeah, or he, like none of that. Uh, our big argument right now is he has a voice he likes to do. And I hate that voice. So all of our arguments right now are like, well, you do the, the British voice. I'm like, well, the British voice is charming and hilarious. What you're doing is annoying and loud. He's, and he'll just follow me around. I'm not even going to try and duplicate it because it's just awful. And that, that's that's the kind of stuff we argue about in my household. We all hear voices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and my poor wife, she's just stuck in the middle of it. Oh, it's yeah. Like living in a cuckoo clock. No, but just wait. She's waiting until the perfect time to do the voice just to get oh. your skin. No, she missed it. She missed her moment completely. Uh, we were all at the dinner table and, and me and my son are going back and forth with the voice off. And uh, she just like she la- she comes out. of uh, She comes in with like, um, well, I think it's time for dessert. And and me, we both look at her and and he's like, Mom, you 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 don't you don't do voices. And I was like, Yeah, honey, honey, voices are definitely not your thing. And she just, oh sure. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just stop. Stop while you're way behind both of us. We can go through it. It's gonna be endearing. You you sound drunk right now. Don't do that again. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys have bonded over something, even if <laughs> No, joining forces against mom. Against it is mom. what it is. Yeah. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, my daughter is just sitting there like she she loves the Southern voice. My daughter goes like, uh, hey, dad, is this rednecky? Hey, daddy, can I have some milk? And I'm like, yes, that's very rednecky, Aww. baby girl. I love it. <laughs> well, when did this when did this train go off the tracks? Well, when it, you know, the second it started. <laughs> but that's OK. So you, you you get the job. Uh, you're you you came in as a mixologist, didn't you? Like you came in as sort of uh, like a brand ambassador slash mixologist, or yes. you were just came on as a mixologist. See what yeah, I did there? Um, I'm right in the ship. Yeah. See, I'm I'm on it, digging it. <laughs> the this title was Master Bourbon Specialist because I didn't. But we had literally a full meeting of trying to figure out what my job title was going to be. And I said, I don't like the word mixologist because I, at that time, it was like craft cocktails, making a movement. And like, there had been other opportunities, like there were the people that were tending bars and really enjoyed what they were doing. And then there were the people that were tending bars because they really liked wearing a vest or growing a mustache or, you know, enter whatever or using a typewriter or like, you know what I mean? Like enter whatever antiquated practice to make it it, the thing that it was. There was a whole thing. It's probably still going on. I'm just removed from it now. Oh, totally. The hipster movement in bartending is very, very real. It was very like everybody was like just dressing to the to the time period of the classic cocktails while making the classic cocktails and it's like but it this is not making sense I don't know I so I was never one of those people that was like I'm not a bartender I'm a mixologist it was like well this is a bar and I'm tending it and I'm making things that taste good though so but I don't need anyone to give me a title in order to like know what I'm doing is good or not so mixologist I fought really really hard so master bourbon specialist and then it was confusing for everyone so like what does that even mean so whatever but and then I sort of, you know, I did my onboarding at Brown Foreman. I got introduced to the plans. The distillery groundbreaking ceremony happened. And that was such an epic day. It was like the literally the entire Brown family from all over the world was there to witness it. And I was just in awe. And I remember seeing this, like, it was all like under this, like, beautiful white tent across the street from this construction site. And there were these like old Forester, very expensive cookies. And I was like, I've never seen cookies so fancy, like all my <laughs> world to me. Right. And I see these little boys and I wish I, I think I have a picture of them, which is weird. Like, Hey, let me just take pictures of your, like, you know what I mean? I felt like a weirdo, but like, it was so adorable. They were just the Brown family is an amazing family and they're very human and they're very approachable for the legacy that they are. Let me put it that way. Um, and you see these children, you're like, you're literally going to grow up to be like a billionaire and you don't even know what it's like to grow up to not be a billionaire and you never win. Right. And so it's for somebody like, I'm not, a, I don't know, on the other side of the fence, it was just fascinating for me to witness them and they were just sitting there like poking at each other and like just being little kids and like being little. Yeah, totally. This is so phenomenal. This family is so real. And I'm in love with this whole thing and I, I have to protect it. And I want to be here to make sure that when they grow up to be their billionaire selves, whatever, that this product and this legacy brand is still like held to its finest standards that it was when it all started. And just, I don't know. I, I don't think that you possibly 
can love Old Forester and not love the Brown family equally. And I had Campbell Brown as my direct boss, and he was such an amazing human that I, I'm connected with it in a different way. So that changed my course from, hey, these cocktails are like legit. Let's do like, I don't know, whatever silly shenanigans with those to I want to make sure that what goes into that cocktail is always going to be solid from the start. And here we go. So here we are still doing that, I guess. That's freaking awesome though. And that is that, oh, they're, uh, the distillery in Louisville is absolutely gorgeous. Like, Mm -hmm. like that entire facility is just, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It absolutely is. It's incredibly modern. It perfectly balances though, a modern location with the antiquity of that space. It's the original space where the brand started. So who else can say that? Literally nobody else can say that. Um, and it's a full process under one roof. Yeah. That's insane. It's, it, and it's, it's open back up now, isn't it? Yeah, it is in limited capacity. And, you know, I, I say that today it's open and, you know, and who knows what's going to happen next week, next month, whatever. But we have finally come back around to being able to host people again because it is a full production site. So obviously during a pandemic, you don't want people like breathing all over your tank. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody likes tank breath. The whiskey. We still have to make the things, you know, so. Totally. So, so, so making the whiskey, how did you go from, from that title, I, 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 I'm going to butcher it special drink taster or special to how did you get from that to the amazing title that is master taster? I said it out loud and I said it to the years that needed to hear it. So I told Campbell one day after that ground, after that moment where I was like, I'm in this, I'm in this for for the long haul, um, longest relationship I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so I just told him out of nowhere one day, because I'm so professionally, you know, eloquent, just like knocked on his door. He's like in the middle of something incredibly important. And I'm like, yeah, so by the time those doors open, I'll be master taster. And he's like, Oh, okay. Then that's, then that's what we're going to do. Okay. There was no fight on it. It was just kind of, you know, timing is always so key in things like this because, we had Marianne with us and then she left and went to do the Castle and Key project. And then Elizabeth was master taster for Woodford though, specifically. And so old Forster was like just growing and now this home place and now we've got all these things and didn't have extra people to like help spread the word. So it was just the right time. That's awesome. And, and so you, you get the, you get the gig now, what does outside of the obvious, what was, uh, what does the master taster do on a day-to-day basis? So it's a very interesting role. Uh, you're not literally just sitting there. It's unique. Every brand, their own master taster, whatever brand does their own brand stuff. Like the master taster role at Woodford is different than the one at Old Forcer, than the one that used to be at Jack Daniels. Like they're all different. For us, it's always very curated based on somebody's background, to be honest with you. So mine still has a little bit to do with drink strategy because that's where I came from. And so it just, why wouldn't you still be like, hey, we have this website 
refresh photo shoot, are these drinks made the right way? Do they look right? Like, so I still weigh in on drink stuff and I still oversee, you know, the licensed cocktail mixer line that we have with bourbon barrel foods. Um, and from a product standpoint, we have like 11 different expressions now that we are continually producing that have to be made consistently because we started with, we're going to be consistent. So <laughs> we, we got to have that no matter what. So there's that, then there's new product development and working with R&D on that stuff. Um, I do still oversee. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Stuff. Oh, absolutely. And especially because R&D at BF, sorry, at Brown Foreman, research and development. (laughs) Acronyms are a microaggression. So I'm going to go ahead and just like extrapolate them out. Research and development at Brown Foreman is a very interesting place because it's not just whiskey. It's tequila, it's vodka, it's liqueurs, it's ready to drinks. It's all kinds of fun stuff. So they're all over the place. Um, So there's new product development. It's weighing in on what does it say on the front label of the bottle? What goes on the hang tag? What proof is this going to be? What filtration level is that going to be? Where's this wood going to come from? Warehouse is this going to go into? Like it's a lot of actual product decisions, not so much just sip, sniff, sip, sniff, whatever, back and forth. And so those quality control panels are a big part of it, but they're not exclusive to Old Forester. So we all share all brands in that sense. So um, it's always funny because they'll have them set up where it'll be like, oh, here's a set of samples of a vodka. Here's a set of samples of a tequila. And it's it's always brand which is whatever they're doing that day. And I'm always so on it with the vodka. I am like an exquisite vodka taster, which is very strange because the differences are so, so subtle, right? Totally. Um, and then if I, you know, really like nail it with the vodka panel and then I do an old Forster panel and I miss one, I'm like, they're going to fire me. Like, <laughs> I just should have been in vodka this whole time. Like, I get very <laughs> discouraged. But, you know, some days you're off. But you're having a vodka day. You know, it's a, it's a thing. I passed a, so Tony Abuganwam did a vodka tasting here in Louisville about seven years ago. And it was, I want to say nine, nine to 12 different samples, all blind. And I'm not a vodka drinker. I've never been a vodka drinker, mind you. Like even coming from the world of flavored vodkas and beers and whatever shots, like I have never been a vodka drinker. I just, it makes me angry. It's not a good thing, but yeah. I passed this. I was like out of random nowhere. I was like, I think I can tell you what all these products are. And he was like, oh, someone thinks that they know what they're talking about. Does anyone else in the class want to join in? And like they did this whole room, like going through one by one and everyone like little by little people were just like dropping out. And I got every single one of those dang brands, right? Blind vodka tasting as a non-vodka drinker. And it was kind of a maybe I should like do something with this moment. You know what I mean? All part of it. Totally. But you were asking about my day job. So yeah, I do whiskey stuff. <laughs> well, if, if, if you uh, taste whiskey during the day and taste vodka at nighttime, just 24 seven. See, I don't even taste it. I don't ever drink it. We had a tasting last week for work, just for like internal education. This is what it's like to work for Brown Foreman. You get a box of samples sent to your door and it's like, we're going to have a meeting, everyone. Here's six glasses of vodka and here's a box full of scotches. And it's like, what a hard day at the office, you know? It, it doesn't sound too dissimilar from the world of comedy. Only the person that's sending you that box of booze is yourself. 
And instead oh. of a meeting, uh, there's just, there's no meeting. There's, there's, but there's just, no meeting. No, it's just a party of one. <laughs> it's it's just, a, really it's just the road. Yeah. We went down <laughs> another rabbit hole. That, that, ah, man. It's okay. So yeah, all of that. I still do like to spend time in the warehouse. I like to be amongst the barrels. I like, it helps me to have experience with them so that I know, four barrels in, it always starts to get a little spicy or, you know what I mean? I think you just have someone send you random bottles and say, taste this, smell this. You're missing a piece of the puzzle of really learning the whiskey and how it developed. So I still spend quite a bit of time out there in Shively with the spiders. Hey, but well, well said, there's only so much you can get. There's, there's pieces of the puzzle that's more in depth than what you're actually tasting. Yeah. Like the things that go into it. I I think that's the puzzle that's so fun to uh, put together. Uh, And you've done it so well. How is it just time? I think just knowing what you're working towards and then grow. Did you keep a notebook? Did you have like a palette? Uh, like a palette notebook of, of what you were getting so you could kind of teach yourself? So I don't keep a palette notebook. I had quite a few notebooks in the beginning. I am a very, to a fault, avid lister. I mm. have to write things down. I'm not good with like, oh, I've got it in a spreadsheet somewhere. Like that's fine too. But like, I need to physically write it, see it. Like I need tangible paper. Right. Um, And now there, of course, I'm also a mess of a human, like they're scattered about everywhere, but I went through full production training for this role. And so I think that's one of the most important pieces is that when you start learning, yep, see, everywhere, you start piecing together. When I do this, it tastes like this five years later. That's where you start making those connections in order to really think through. And you have to have that in order to start uh, like new product development processes and such like that and innovation. So yeah, you just spend time. It's literally just time spent and the days can be long and boring and very uneventful, but you have to just be there. You have to be there to witness the change in the pH of the mash. You have to be there to witness everything, all the smells, all the things. And and they all sort of hit you internally to, to what you're going to get out of them. Uh, and, and the reason I'm asking is that's one of the biggest questions that we get is how do I grow my palate? And yes. what would so, you tell somebody? Um, smell and taste um, everything that you can. I mean, don't be a, <laughs> don't take it so literally that you're being a moron about it. You know what I mean? Like don't go out and start chewing on candles. Like don't do right. that. But like food and non-toxic items, watches. <laughs> Um, you just have to, you have to expose yourself, you know, go to the grocery store and be that weirdo. That's like sniffing all the stuff. And I don't know, you got to try different things and you got to try different versions of different things. It's, there's not just apple. There's every variety of apple. Then you start baking them or you start adding sugar. You start adding some of those, um, the notes that the barrel would add vanilla and things like that. And once you start oxidizing things, things get totally different. Um, and just start registering it. A good practice is always to compartmentalize it. This is how we learn how to do it internally. And if you approach something and really knock it into categories first, instead of trying to, here's a glass of whiskey and what are you getting? Okay. And then you're just, you're scrambling from a bank of 3 million options of words to choose from. Right. But if you have a glass of whiskey and go, what fruit do you smell? it helps you to really focus it and fine tune it down. And so start there and then go, okay, 
fruit. Okay. Is it apple? Okay. But what color apple, but what form of apple? And then you start really like going down that path and do the same thing with spice or with flowers or with, you know, dessert. Does it smell like a specific dessert? Is it tiramisu? Is it snickerdoodle cookie? Is it, you know, that's like a Rolodex. You're creating like a taste yes. Rolodex in your brain. Yes, basically. Yes. And some days if you smell something different in it, cool. There's no wrong ever in any of it. And it's, there, I, there is it. Like, it's like this competition, right? Like you can you. wax poetic and throw out the most descriptors. Most of the time, this is speaking from me, from my point of view at the front of the room, doing events and things when there's that one person in the back that's like, I'm getting almonds and cranberries and blah, 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 blah. And then they start using literally the chemical like compound words for it. And you're just like, anybody else have anything? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not impressed. And we're not offering you a job because like all you've done is made everyone in the room feel uncomfortable. And like you've done it right. And they've done it wrong. And now they don't want to drink whiskey. And now I'm not going to have a job one day. And now neither are you. Do you see what's happening here? Like whiskey is fun and it's friendly and it's comfortable. And it's, it's the whole experience of drinking and sipping and tasting in a group it's a communal practice. It's not meant to be like, I'm the best at the tasting today. Why do we don't do keep that? stickers and cookies in my pocket to give out? Right. I, I don't understand why. Is it just human nature that leads us to somebody somewhere? Is it, Maybe it's an insecurity. Like I, I, there's this insecurity that people are going to assume I don't know unless I go above and beyond or I go overboard with what I'm saying. Uh, it, it just seems very unnecessary to, to add that to the mix. Yeah. But I think it happens in, in various intensities and in different kinds, like wine. I'm sure there are so many people out there that do a job like mine, but for wines and the people they come in, wine people are a totally different breed. Sometimes, you know, like they can get very, um, snarky gluten about things, very pinkies out about things sometimes. Yes. So, yes. I don't know. I don't, my point being is just that like have fun with I'm it. Not that cool of a person where you want to impress me if it's for impress if you know what I mean. So like just nor nor is anyone else in that room. We're all people just doing the people thing. It's funny. It's been interesting because you don't have that during COVID, right? Like everything right. is virtual and you don't have one person that's just like keeps unmuting themselves to like do the things like that doesn't happen. So now I know they're still out there. These They'll come flooding back. The chatters, mm-hmm. the masked uh, waxers of poetic <laughs> notes. They're, they're out there and they're yes. waiting. They're waiting to come back into the spotlight. Uh, that's what I want. I want a haiku <laughs> of tasting notes. I want just cherry, watermelon, strawberry. Hey. Well, pe- okay. So I sound, I sound like a, I'm being kind of an ass. By no, 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 no. I know exactly where you're coming from. Uh, it, it takes the fun out of it and it makes people self-conscious about what they're tasting when there's yes. somebody else that's like uh, going all Mr. Dictionary on the whole thing. Right. And so there's another element to it, though. And this is something that actually uh, to this day, I apologize for it before I do it every single time, but I know that it's not the norm in the industry in positions like this to act this way. So I always preface like, Hey, just a heads up. I'm probably not going to say a lot because I don't want to plant seeds in your mind and tell you what you should be tasting. I am from a very selfish curiosity standpoint, just curious to want, 
I want to know what this reminds you of. You don't have to have the right words, but does it remind you of a place or a person or like, what's the emotional tie that happens to it? That's the coolest part about tasting whiskeys being like, oh, this brings me back to like Aunt Opal's cookies. Like, awesome. Amazing. Now you're always going to have that. And like, every time you have a glass of that, you're going to have that memory. And that's awesome. But if you've got someone in the corner, that's like Twizzlers, licorice, jelly beans, blah, blah. And you're just like, now all I taste is that like, that's all I smell. You don't get your own personal engagement with it. And so it's more so that I don't want people to be robbed of the experience than it is where I'm like, you're a very talkative person. And <laughs> I no, I totally love that. And I, I so many times uh, uh, I'll be drinking something and it, it will more take me back in time than it will any specific flavor note. Like it'll take you. I, I don't know why the band cake comes up so often on this show, but I'll be drinking something and it'll take me back to like that. Did you go through a cake period where everything yes. was just long shirt, long skirt, short jacket? It, it was just yeah. it, it. It took me back there, and that that just seemed to be where I live every time I take a sip of that whiskey. It's it's a wonderful thing to associate it almost like uh, like music. Like certain songs take you back to a place in your life when you listen to yeah. them, and and I think whiskey does the same thing. So there's no wrong answer either Correct. to the other side of that coin. If what you tasted is what you tasted. That's what you tasted. No uh, twi Twizzler licorice guy. He he can do whatever he wants to. Don't feel bad about what you're tasting because that's the unique experience of whiskey. I agree completely. And you know what, though? But like I if you're a person that just needs to verbalize everything that pops through your head, like that's cool, too. You do you. It's just that there are there's a lot of really awesome moments, especially people that don't think they know what they're talking about with whiskey. And especially that moment that you go, yes, see, see, you have a connection with it and see there's no right or wrong to it and see like, it's totally personal and unique to you. And it's okay. Like there's not a contest. There's no like pass fail at the end of this. It's just, it can literally be for everybody of legal drinking age, but it's a thing, you know, like it's not just about getting drunk, like drunk happens and, you know, drunk is drunk. It is what it is, but right. it's more about there's a deeper level to it. I think that that's what makes the whiskey category so special is, is that flavor. Totally, yeah. totally agree. Uh, it, it's very well said. I, I, I think that's the connection. Uh, and, and and on that note, I have been sent some of the wonderful 117 series segue uh, from you guys. So what? Oh, man, I've had this thing sitting out for about 45 minutes and, and just the, the the glass is nowhere near me right now. And the smell coming out of this thing is absolutely amazing. What was your inspiration? See, I'm getting back on book. What was your inspiration for the 117 series? Where did that come from? So um, when we opened the distillery, of course, we needed something to sell that you couldn't get anywhere else out of the retail shop. Our quick fix for that was actually the resurgence of the president's choice expression that we had discontinued back in 1972. And so that kind of bought us some time to figure out what we wanted to do and you know, everyone had a different idea of what this should be. I honestly just from those moments, like I was telling you about earlier, how you, you really get to know the whiskey when you're there in person with it. And you can it's to someone to just send you bottles of things and go, well, here's the fact sheet on it. Like 
you still learn, but it's just different. And so in managing the single barrel inventory for Old Forester, I literally like in one line of barrels and every row of every warehouse, like they're just right there in front of you. You're like, taste, 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 taste. And you just start to develop these humans are always looking for a pattern. They're always looking for a category. They're always trying to, you know, put structure onto something and have it compartmentalized and make sense in their mind. I openly admit I have not been in this industry nor with this brand long enough to say H warehouse is the best warehouse because the barrels I got out of H were the tastiest barrels. Like maybe those barrels happen to be good. Maybe once in four years won't be as good. I don't know. Like it's, it's, there are too many variables, but I had always come across barrels that were too low for us to process in the single barrel program. And they had the most concentrated and oxidized flavor profile and low yield barrels is a new concept. I think Jack Daniels had an expression literally identical to this in their Tennessee tasters or their gift shop lineup too. Um, it was just that these ideas came out of that completely different minds. I had no, I don't know what they do at Jack. Like I don't, I shouldn't say that I should pay more attention to what they do at Jack, but I'm really busy here in Kentucky with the Forster. So I don't know. It was something that I want to be able to share with people. I want to be able to say, Hey, look, this is what a low yielding barrel tastes like. Hey, look, this is what a barrel that's at in the sun. It's whole life. tastes like, Hey, look, but barrel to barrel in a single barrel program, it's always kind of a fluke because it's one barrel at a time. If you can batch these commonalities together and come up with sort of a, a very common denominator flavor profile to these different methods of maturation, there's an educational piece to that where it's not just, this is what a rye flavored mash bill versus a weeded mash bill tastes like, right? It's the same thing. Like here, I'm giving you a very transparent behind the curtain. Look, this is what old forester low yielding barrels taste like when you put them together, done, boom, over with. doesn't have to be some sexy story. It's just like, that's what it is. Here's what super concentrated whiskey tastes like. It's like bourbon extract. It tastes really good. Yeah. And you add water to it and it just opens the balance just remains the it's perfect the whole way through. It's amazing. The mouthfeel of it actually gets more oily as you add more water, which is very interesting. It gets thicker and denser. It's a really cool journey in a glass. It's a whiskey to spend some time with. And it's a tiny little bottle, but it'll last you, you know, it's literally concentrated bourbon in a tiny little bottle. It's awesome. So this first release was very cool to, to get out there into the world. There are more releases coming. But this one's gone. Like there is no 117. Oh, yeah. it, 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 before it even, as soon as it was announced, it was gone. Yeah. The high angel share uh, first batch was gone pretty darn quick. So the series will continue, but with different, you know, perspectives of sort of deconstructed blends of old Forester. And so we've got more coming, not that far away from now, actually. So, oh, 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 oh. I'm saying Chris point, Chris will get so mad at me. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes peeled and your ears peeled, everybody. Yeah. It it is absolutely like, I can't stop nosing it. It it smells amazing. Um, I've got a little bit of water. Should I have some with it uh, without and some with? Yeah. It, and this was, uh, you could only get it at the distillery. Is that correct? Yes. And they sprinkle it out to limited uh, different retailers in Kentucky. Here and I, there, I, just kind of I, have to. 
I don't even want to drink it. I just want to nose it. It, it, <laughs> it just smells amazing. It's like heightened. It's like completely heightened whiskey. Oh, it's thick and it's creamy. And again, I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of putting taste descriptors on there, but the volume of it completely mm -hmm. coats the mouth and takes that old Forester flavor. It like all the way around, like it works the room. That's a really great way of putting it. It definitely does. Oh. I love the density of this. I absolutely love the thick, like it's because, you know, when you get thick, like you go older aged barrels and it can mm -hmm. almost become syrupy thick. Yep. It, it is very aware. Like, like you were very good to like, it's not that like it's, it's not working. It's not rolling. It's still sliding over the tongue. Like it's not lavaing over the tongue. It, right. It's like just right there. Yeah, and I completely. I see what you mean. I feel like you could sit. I have probably <laughs> one one finger of a pour, and I could probably make this last for the next thirty to forty five minutes, and probably will, just because there is a lot to unpack with this. But wonderful job! This is absolutely, I, I, and and it flew off the shelf like immediately. That has to make you feel good for your first offering, your first uh, uh, labeled as yours offering from the company. Yeah, that was a terrifying, like, I not the day before that. I'm like, what if they hate it? I'm doomed. Like if I, if you screw up the first one, then you're constantly fighting to prove yourself against that the rest of your career. So yeah, but uh, it, whew, thankfully. I told you I'd do this. I have to look away. <laughs> The finish, Jackie. Oh, my goodness. It just, like, keeps hitting you in stages. And then it comes right back around. It, it like, the finish comes right back up to the front of your mouth. That is craziness. There's also no way to give your feedback without, with, without weird words, but it does. That's okay. That is delicious. And uh, I'm very, very happy for your success. You you have done just so much. I, I can't wait to see what you do with the rest of your time because you're just getting started. Like this is like what, five years? You're five years in? Six yep. years? Five years in. That is absolutely insane. And and to be doing things like this, this is like complete, it, it's, it, it's so good. And I, I think uh, your attention to detail shows up in the glass um, I, I keep trying to think of, of words at this point, but my, my, my brain is also completely processing what I'm drinking at the same time, which is just mesmerizing. Like, like it really is the texture of this thing. I'm just in love with, mm. but I digress. Uh, I will not keep, I've already taken up a lot of your time today. Um, I, I could sit here and talk to you all afternoon, but I will not do that to you. Uh, I always ask people when you're, well, actually, no, I've, I wanted to ask you when you're standing there, Old Forester has so many expressions and all of them are freaking tasty. How would you tell somebody if they're standing at the shelf, if they're trying to figure out where to start, how would you tell, how would you introduce somebody to Old Forester for the first time? What, like what, what trajectory would you put them on? 
that's a tricky one because everyone is in a different place. You know what I mean? And some people like really big spicy whiskeys and the people like a sweeter, whatever, it doesn't matter. We have so many different ones that there's literally a flavor profile that speaks to everybody. And honestly, if you just want like straight up flagship, this is what old Forester tastes like. You cannot go wrong to just get a bottle of the 86. Like I, I hate that I'm saying it, but I love that I'm saying it. Like it's seriously one of the best whiskeys out there. The one I drink the most of is the 100 proof, just like the everyday, like orange strip on the neck, but they're all so different. So always, 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 always ask a bartender, ask the person at the liquor store. Trust there you me. go. They know what they're talking about and say, I like spicy. Which one do you recommend? I like sweet. Which one do you recommend? I usually drink rum. Which one do you recommend? Like whatever. Use them. They're there. They love to help guide those decisions. So always ask, but personal preference, the 100 proof. That's, That's awesome. I'm a 1920 guy myself. Nice. Solid one as well. Very, very solid whiskey. A wonderful point though. Do your homework, go to the bar, ask to try, do a flight before you yep. go to the liquor store, before you put the money in, go have a couple drinks somewhere and ask the bartender where he would point you or where she would point you so that you can kind of get a better understanding of what you're doing before you go. That's a great answer. Yeah. And honestly, like, don't be afraid of ordering something and not liking it, you know, like whatever, like, and don't finish it, move on to the next and don't feel like the more expensive it is means the better it is. Cause that is not in any way, shape or form a rule in this industry at all. Um, so it's don't all marketing spend more. A thousand percent agree. I think yeah. people get the, the collector and everyone kind of comes out when they're like, I spent $500 on this. You're a moron. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah. I mean, there's scenarios, there's scenarios, but the bottles that you and I are both thinking of right now are not $500 bottles. Oh yes. There's, you know, there's a lot of, them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you, so if you're listening and you've never heard of old Forester, you've never had old Forester and you want to start exploring it, we do have some really great resources on oldforester.com that you can always refer to as a really great starting place just to see what's out there. So you know what the bottle looks like. There's flavor profiles you can resonate with on there. There's cocktails on there. Most of them I came up with, Hey, nice little plug. Um, <laughs> in a world, you know, and there's no wrong or right. And if you don't like it at all, that's cool. We will still keep making it. That's yeah. Yeah, And keep looking, you'll find something you do, you know, there is no right or wrong. That's the best way to say it. It's going to be what is specific to you. And speaking of cocktails, what is your go-to right now? Like, are, are you, are you cocktailed out or is this a thing where you're constantly looking for something new? So no, I have a very, I am, to the point where like I go out in Louisville and like, I don't even have to order anymore. If this is just like, pfft, here it is. Jackie's going to get a 100 proof old fashioned heavy on the syrup. She always does light on the bitters, whatever. But of late, I actually have had to cut back quite a bit on that sugar element. So um, a girl that I work with on the singer Girl program has now introduced me to just literally old Forester 86 proof with a slice of orange and then you just have it shaken up and that's it. And it's literally like the most refreshing, amazing thing in the entire world where it's literally just 86 proof and a slight hint of orange. And that's it. I know that's weird. 
It's not a splash of orange juice. You got to have a piece of like actual fruit. There's no muddling. It's just let it kind of sit in there. It's the greatest thing ever. I drank that last night a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I've got a bottle of 86 on the shelf. I have some Clementines in the pantry. I am now officially old. I just called it a pantry. I'm, I'm doing that tonight. That, that is going to be my, my, my cocktail after work today. It's delicious. Orange works so well with old foe. So, so I mean, it's just great. Everything works well with old foe. I've yet to find anything that doesn't, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, one more thing and I'll let you go. If there was an old, uh, if there was a Mount Rushmore of whiskey, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore? (sighs) See, (laughs) I am such a, turd of a human like I am going to give you an answer that's going to make it seem like I'm trying to dodge answering this the way you want me to answer it or the way you're asking it to be answered there's no wrong way to answer it whatever you think I would if so say like the great minds of the whiskey world come together and real say we're, we're gonna carve into this freaking mountain and make a monument and pay tribute so I really went literal with this um <laughs> I would honestly fight for them to not put anything in it and just leave it as it is. I think it takes it way too seriously when you start memorializing people in this industry. It's just, I would rather just have the mountain. Is that weird? Is that? No, that's a phenomenal answer. I think that sums up a lot of what we've been talking about. Like there's no reason to put it on a pedestal. It is what it is. And, and there are so much of so many good things out there raise them all up and leave the mountain be. That's a phenomenal answer. Just go to the mountain and drink at the mountain with a variety of whiskeys, right? Like like Jimmy Russell's face on the side of a mountain. Like you don't have to do that. You're making me rethink the entire question. (laughs) You're welcome. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I, I will do this anytime you'll let me because I, I, I have a feeling we could, we could keep going for, for a while. And uh, we, we've still got more things to, uh, to unwrap there. Uh, there's yeah. spiders, there's Jaeger, there's dark hallways, there's uh, coming back with some good stories. I, I think this has been a phenomenal talk. So thank you so much. No, it is all my pleasure. I am happy to to do it again. And we've got all kinds of fun things coming out. So we'll have new sip and all the more reason to have another episode, right? So. Hooray. Well, right. I cannot wait to do this again. Jackie, thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode. Is Jackie not just like the coolest person in the world? I'll tell you, I was going through listening to this thing and the spiders, man, I can't stop cracking up over the spiders. That's my favorite story that I've heard on this show in a long time. And, and we've had some great freaking stories on this show. And just the the <laughs> the mental picture of, of, of spiders and, and oh man, it's just, it was so great talking to her. And thank you, Jackie, for coming on the show. I really would love to do this again. So I had fun. I hope you did. And 
good lord if that whiskey's not phenomenal so thank you for coming on and everybody thank you for listening go hit like and subscribe on apple podcast and spotify and all those good things instagram and we will be back again next week with a new episode of the bourbon showdown podcast we have so many more great people on this season i can't even name them all so just keep coming back we'll keep putting out show my name is jesse jones i'll talk to you on down the road have a good day have a good night goodbye everybody goodbye